Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Thank you. Thank you so much. He loves this stuff. (laughs) Believe it or not, Dan actually called me last evening and said, hey, you are showing up tomorrow morning, right? (laughs) True story. Well, we, we really are uh, grateful for this opportunity to just um, get to spend a little uh, time with Nathan. Nathan, is, um, he's had many, many roles in his life. He's a son. He's a brother. He's an uncle and a great uncle. And um, I know some of your family is here this morning. And uh, so we're just really, really uh, happy to be able to gather as a church family and um, just celebrate uh, what God has done, you know, over the past 25 years. Um, so, like I said, um, you you know had a lot of roles in your life. You, know, you grew up in Pennsylvania, a small town um, called Birdsboro. Um, so maybe that's part of the reason he likes bird watching. I don't know. But anyway, so um, so, um, so why don't you tell us a little bit, bit about that, about your family, and about what it was like growing up for you. Yeah, we've got some family here this morning, so thankful for them to be here. Uh, I'm actually the baby of four, uh, the youngest of four. Um, we grew up kind of in the middle of a 55-acre small, not small, but look, sandstone farmhouse, um, little no-outlet road. At the beginning, there were two houses beyond ours, and so it was, uh, couldn't see another home from our place. And so, um, like I would say... We were kind of like hardworking, um, kind of got the job done. Uh, we were never sort of like fancy people at all, uh, but we would show up and we're kind of responsible, faithful, show up, get it done. And um, yeah, just a lot of experiences went in with that as well. Um, a lot of outdoor work, uh, large garden, um, bees, sheep, chickens, rabbits, uh, all that together. So, um, yeah, it certainly shaped my life a lot. So was, uh, was that the source of some of the hobbies and enthusiasms that you have today in, in addition to bird watching? Yeah, absolutely. I, I um, um, grew up in a family, kind of get home from school in the fall and typically go out and go hunt for some squirrels. Uh, that would then become dinner later on. Uh, on the super exciting thing was on, on rainy days, we had no TV at all, so we didn't grow up with any TV. Really kind of appreciate that because it, it, it uh, got you outside. I think it brought about creativity, imagination. Um, sometimes, you know, on rainy days, like scatter corn in the barn and shoot rats. That's just like, you know, when it was raining, it's kind of like, it's kind of, that was the excitement that was exciting. Um, so yeah, we uh, had an old basketball hoop, you know, folded to the back of our barn. Uh, we used to go out there, play, hands freezing cold. Still remember, uh, we didn't have a lot of resources growing up. Uh, so remember, we would like literally sweep and shovel up gravel along the road, and then I'd bring them over in front of the rim so we wouldn't be bouncing the ball in mud. And so we'd literally like scrape gravel off of the road and like create a little space for us to play basketball. It's called reuse, reduce, and recycle. <laughs> so, um, so when did you like? Do you have you know? You mentioned that like you, you grew up in a faith-filled family. Um, 
do you have a recollection of when you personally accepted Christ as Savior? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, number one, I, I probably have wrestled significantly in my earlier life just with certainty of whether or not I belong to God. I always grew up in a Christian family. I, I do remember pretty specifically a uh, time in a living room with my mom, uh, outside actually under our large elm tree by sliding board with my sister. Um, I, I remember both of those instances. And um, so I remember that specifically, but probably, um, yeah, I really did wrestle a lot. I think a lot of maybe young people do with whether or not it was real, genuine, so did that a thousand times. Um, but as I, I kind of grew on from that, you know, eventually, yeah, I became um, just confident in the fact that I, I do belong to Christ. Um, yeah. And so um, it m must have been felt very natural for you then to move into a, a, a career in ministry. Yeah, I probably... Um, little bit to relate to that as well. Um, my dad, early on, uh, decided to start a church or restart it out of a very dilapidated old church building that was probably about two miles from our house. Now, there weren't a lot of churches around there. And so probably literally, I think, I don't know, every Saturday, maybe for like five years and sometimes evenings in between, uh, like even all of us kids, would, we'd be working at the church. That's what we did. And it, it really did shape my life. Sometimes some of those things are challenging. Maybe we'll get to them a little bit later. Um, but, but our life was really kind of like circled around that. Uh, that being said, I probably deeply, deeply, deeply wrestled with, like, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Where do I belong? I deeply, deeply wrestled with those issues. Um, and um, even on into college. Probably a lot of that was trying to figure out and whether or not, like, okay, am I doing what I'm doing out of obligation and duty because that's what's expected of me, that's because what like, good boys do, or am I truly doing that because that's the path God has for me, uh, that's kind of me following him genuinely, or is it just kind of like succumbing to pressures, obligation, duty, what's celebrated. So, so I wrestled with that a lot, uh, even into Bible college, actually even into seminary. Um, just, uh, I remember standing in front of a seminary professor's desk like literally two years in saying, like, I don't know, like, maybe I'll leave. Like, I think I'd gotten one degree. Um, and yeah, we just kind of, I had no idea. And uh, even though I was at seminary. Um, and, and anyway, he gave me some guidance about just even the, you know, maybe the seminary is the best place for your life to even be shaped. Like maybe it's not, quote, getting the degree, but maybe it's the best place for you to be shaped. And so, um, yeah, that's been a, a rocky road for me. It's never been like easy street and I know what I want to do. You know, it's, it's been kind of like, yeah, fighting and, yeah, fighting and punching. Yeah. So 25 years ago, you came and you were an interim pastor and Sid pretty much intimated that you weren't, the one that they wanted faster. <laughs> and so what was that like? Like, what, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? Is this what you were planning to do? Was this something that, like, how did that all process? How did you process all that? Yeah, I, I uh, when I was at Biblical Seminary, uh, after I graduated, I worked in maintenance um, full time. And 
during that time, the seminary would often get requests from churches whose pastors on vacation, taking a break, conference or whatever, and we kind of go fill in. And so uh, those requests certainly always started with the faculty, the professors, they made the administration. If the, if the bottom of the barrel was really reached, they would ask the maintenance guy. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and literally, I probably did that quite a bit um, for some time. And I actually remember sending a number of those churches letters and just say, hey, if you ever need something, you know, more interim-ish, you know, let me know. Uh, didn't really hear back from any of them. Um, but I literally came here to fill in. I think someone from Biblical was originally asked. They canceled. And so it fell to the maintenance guy, and maintenance guy showed up. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we had, my wife and I happened to be going to a church in Kenilworth, and you were one of the used to come on Sunday nights yeah. to preach every once in a while. So we appreciate We never had a pastor, so if you sent us that letter. That's why we didn't respond. <laughs> so uh, for those of you that know, like the average term of a pastor is about four years. Um, and I think we would say that uh, those of us that are in any kind of leadership, we're all in leadership positions, whether you're in the household or work or whatever. And, and I just know from experience that uh, leading a church as a pastor is is totally different world. It's very stressful, very tight. You're alone all those kind of things. And in the last two years, specifically with the pandemic, there's been lots of pressure. You can read on, online, so many pastors have, have resigned or thinking about resigning just because of how difficult it has been. And, and Nathan has been here for 25 years and it hasn't always been easy. Um, and just thinking back in those 25 years, like what are one or two things that really strike you or, or you, that you really remember? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just really just what I appreciate so much about Southridge is just a long-term consistency even of the congregation, of um, leadership, of volunteers, of people who have built so much into my life. Um, I mean, there's certainly some things that stand out. I remember when this room was uh, like all like dark blue covered pews, blue carpet on the floor, some chandeliers didn't work, and so certainly just remember that whole thing. I uh, remember when we purchased the land next door, um, and I uh, remember picking rocks off of that field. remember the mortgage-burning celebration that we had when we purchased that, and so some of those things out stand out to me. Remember, um, like, baptisms stick out to me. I uh, remember baptizing everything from the Atlantic Ocean to the South Branch, to the Ken Lockwood Gorge, to swimming pools, to jacuzzis, uh, all kinds of places at reservoirs. And so that's really impactful to me. Uh, this last November when we had baptisms, I actually couldn't be here because I had COVID again. And um, so I remember actually watching that service. And, you know, when you're kind of participating, you often lose just like perspective a little bit. You're kind of focused on what needs to happen, what's going to happen, what your role is. Uh, but I remember watching that at home and just like, oh my, wow, just the, the stories were so powerful and such clear demonstrations of people's lives being like truly touched. And um, so that was really powerful. It's been some really hard things too. Some, you know, in the last five years, some traffic fatalities and overdoses and uh, some homicides in our congregation that have been really, really difficult. And so those things shape you as well. Yeah. Well, so... Um... You know, 
taking sort of a little bit of a, of a turn back to your personal faith journey. Um, as most of you can probably recite, our uh, church's mission statement is um, experience belonging, embrace God's grace, and extend God's love. So I thought it would be kind of helpful to kind of look at, at your personal faith journey um, over the past 25 years, Nathan, through that, that lens. So from the standpoint of experience belonging, um, Romans 15, 7 says, you know, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And I, I you know, um, Dan alluded to it a, a moment ago that um, the pastor's role can be kind of a, a lonely one. Um, you know, you're part of the congregation, but in some ways, you know, it's kind of hard to, to, to find your place. So how have you experienced belonging here at Southridge in the past 25 years? Yeah, I think in so many ways, like so many people here have loved me so incredibly well. Uh, from the first pulpit supply Sunday all the way up until today, uh, like so many people have just embraced me, included me, welcomed me. And uh, I feel like in so many ways, I've been loved so much more than the kind of love that I can, can reciprocate and um, truly feel blessed by that. As somebody who's unmarried particularly, and I've shared this before with our congregation, um, like probably just even generally in life, high school especially, college, et cetera, um, I always tend to feel a little bit more like an outsider, uh, like I don't quite belong. Um, and so that's just kind of my natural bent is, uh, of not really belonging, a little bit on the outside. And specifically, not having a family, that can be especially profound. Um, but I've sat here several times. Um, like this congregation has loved me and I think it, it can love the outsider well. And that is something that I just would even want this congregation to continue to, to grow in along with me. It's like, man, just like loving the outsider, loving the person who thinks they don't belong. Like every single story matters. Uh, like every person in this room has a story. Every person online has a story, and every story matters. And um, yeah, people have really, truly um, helped and loved me so faithfully, uh, more than anything I can reciprocate. Yeah. Um, so uh, there were a lot of job requirements that you didn't meet um, when you were called here, but one that you did meet was you had already, you embraced uh, Christ as your savior, but um, so you know, that was kind of would have been a deal breaker if um, you couldn't check, <laughs> couldn't check that box. But, um, but anyway, um, so, but you know, we, we, sometimes we kind of focus on the conversion story experience, but embracing God's grace is, is actually a lifelong thing. It's a, a, a daily a daily thing. Um, 2 Peter 3.18 says that we're all to grow in grace and in the knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, how have you, like, how have you felt yourself growing in, in that aspect of your relationship with, with the Lord? Yeah, I would love to go into that for, like, a long time. Um, I think it was actually kind of a, a biblical first where I just had a fresh realization, a new realization, honestly, for me. Like, I just thought the gospel was, like, Jesus died on the cross for you, pray to receive him, and then, like, you know, try to be good. And periodically, we talk around here, I don't think I've used this language in a while, but the whole idea of, like, continuous conversion. Um, like, like, yes, we believe that once you're a child of God, you belong to him. 
but like every single day of your life, every moment of your life, you actually need the gospel. And you never move on from it, you move more deeply into it. Um, and so that is huge for me. Um, you know, I think my walk has never been, I don't know, just maybe it's my own self-perception. It's not one that's necessarily easy. It's, and maybe it's not for anybody, I don't know. But it's not one that's sort of like, I don't know, I don't like skip along whistling hymns all day in my little life. Um, it's like by nature, I'm kind of like a fighter, I'm a scrapper. Um, I'm very, very determined. I'm just um, kind of self-sufficient, independent, like all of that stuff. And um, so it's, it's kind of a battle for me. Um, I think it was last Sunday we sang a song, you know, Blessed Assurance. And I just, you know, Sam knows this. The reason I love that song is like prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Man. Like, yeah. Like, that's me. Like, I, I fight, man. And, um, yeah, part of my call to ministry is just like a fight. Um, and um, it's not because God fights me. It's because I fight him. Um, you know, I remember... Like years and years ago, I think it was probably around the time I came here, maybe a little before, um, I think it was before, uh, like a, the words in Ezekiel where he talks about uh, you have a heart of stone and need to be transformed into a heart of flesh. And, you know, I've got a heart that can be rock solid and it's, it's hard. And like I just need to continuously have that transformed into a heart of flesh. And so, yeah, my walk is not sort of like, Nice, calm, placid, easy. It's it's kind of fighting, scrappy, and it's um, yeah, just always kind of like wrestling with God, and somehow that heart of stone, hopefully being transformed into a little bit of a heart of flesh. So that's kind of a good segue into the last point, which is um, extend God's love. Um, uh, Stony-hearted people aren't always the most natural uh, type of personalities for extending God's love, but extending love uh, looks different for a lot of people. I mean, obviously, the, the Bible talks about love a lot. God is love, and uh, the law and the prophets can be summed up in uh, the, the commandments to love God and, and, and to love your neighbor. And even as, as followers of Christ, uh, Jesus says that we should be recognizable to uh, to the outside world by the way we love one another. So how like how, how has that wrestling that you've engaged with all these years like how has that changed like how you love others and 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 how you like even how you define what it, what mm. it means to love others? I mean, number one, I think as as a family, I think one thing that was totally ingrained into us was to like, um, like we shoveled snow, mowed grass, showed up. Like we may not be fancy, but we show up. Uh, we may not be fancy, but if like an elderly person or somebody who's disabled or gone through a season, their lawn needs to be mowed, the walk needs to be, like you show up and do it. And um, and I just, I think it's so important. I would love for that to be part of the DNA of, of like the families that you have. Like just make that normal. If a food needs to be delivered, like get the kids together, bake a meal, deliver the food. I remember, yeah, like Sunday's afternoon, my dad was an elder. This was back when we had glass communion cups. Like every one of those things need to be washed, man. And so, uh, like I remember that sometimes Sunday, like that was just normal for us, just normal for us. 
Uh, growing up, I would teach at the Hope, Reading Hope Rescue Mission, you know, once a month or so. Um, so that was just a regular thing. I think that it's filtered into ministry. Um, like if you see something, like step in and do it. Uh, one of the advantages of, I think, for how long I've been part of the community. And so, you know, I've gotten to know different people in the community, a number of whom don't come to this church, and just thank you for the opportunity to, to interact with them. And I remember, you know, just a couple of years ago, it's probably more than a couple of years ago, uh, you know, police officer here in Franklin Township, you know, called me on my phone and kind of wondered what he was calling me for. And he said, hey, like, you know, I just received word. I'm supposed to visit this woman's house. Um, her daughter was... Um, found dead of an OD in Pennsylvania. He said, I'm not the best of it at this. Can you, like, join me in this? And so I said, yeah, like, and I can do that. And um, so he popped by the house, like, five minutes later, picked me up. And, you know, just to, to be available to, you know, walk into a house. And there's a woman, and you, know, you got to tell her, you know, your, your daughter's dead. And um, you know, just to walk with people and those sorts of things. I think later that afternoon, I actually did a wedding. And so... Um, yeah, I think just looking for opportunities, you ask about just hopefully becoming more aware, I think, in all of our lives. And, and I look back, and Tim Keller says that wherever you are, like three to five years ago, you think, oh, my gosh, it was so immature, it's so self-absorbed, so self-focused, so thinking of myself. And, you know, that's really true of me, like so self-absorbed, so self-focused. So thinking of myself, so thinking about, like, what are people thinking? And, like, you know, I look back and say, man, like, it was, my life is so full of that. And yet I know, like, five years from now, three years from now, one year from now, I'll look back and say, like, man, I was so self-absorbed, so self-focused. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just the way that it is. And so just to realize that that is who you are, but then also try to yeah, be more aware of the stories around you. And just even the small ways, the small ways that you can share a word, help somebody, love on them, um, say a kind word. Uh, it's honestly something I, need, I want to do better at. Yeah. Just want to also give you an opportunity to share with our congregation something that's on your heart. Yeah, probably one thing that I'm thinking about these days a little bit is, um, and maybe this is particularly with Revelation, um, like, you only have so many days to live by faith. Like, someday, if you know Christ, you're going to live by sight. And it's not going to be any big deal to follow Jesus at that point. I mean, of course you're going to follow him, you'll, because you'll be living by sight. But you had a w limited window of time to live by faith. To actually show up, you know, at the end... And not just say, like, okay, hey, now I'm ready to follow you because now I live by faith or live by sight. Like, you've got a limited time to trust God, even though you don't feel like it, it doesn't make sense, uh, you don't want to do, like, you've got a limited amount of time to do that. Like, Jesus did that for all of his earthly life here. He lived by faith. And so, um, yeah, just, like, harness that. See, trust in God, faith in him as something that you offer to him, something beautiful that you give to him. And like, don't wait until the day where, okay, now I'm ready to trust you, but now you're like living by sight. Uh, like, I think, I think a lot about that. Um, yeah. So we're called as, as people and as a congregation to pray for a pastor. So how, how can we pray for you? 
Uh, just related to what I said, I remember, and I don't, look, we shouldn't burn out because burnout is related to like taking too much responsibility and it's all up to me. So I'm not talking about burning out, but I remember a number of years ago, we had a video here by Wes Stafford. Remember him saying, like when I show up before the throne of God, like I want him not just to wipe a tear from my eye, but sweat from my brow. And I, 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 that weighs heavily on me. Like, I don't want Jesus just to, like, wipe tears from my eyes. Like, I want to wipe some sweat from my brow. Like, and I hope most of us do. I think I remember preaching that one time, like, like show up sweaty, man. Show up sweaty. Um, I think probably for me, um, a verse that I've been thinking about a lot is Romans 15, 13. I may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. For most Sundays here in the last three or four months, I've, I've often said, like, my greatest fear is not that I would deny Christ so much, is that I become dull. Like, that's, I think, most of our, what we've got to be careful of. Like, I'm probably not going to deny him this afternoon, but I can be incredibly dull to him in the next minute. Um, I think a lot about... Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to just follow Christ with my brain. Like, I want to follow him with my being. And I think that's a pretty significant thing that I wrestle with as well. And in that verse, it talks about love and joy and peace. And those are all things that, like, I want to experience more of. But it also says, like, like part of that comes, the responsibility is on you. It says, trust in the Lord. But then it also says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so just that I would be able to bring together the, not like self-effort and self-determination, but the true supernatural Holy Spirit work of God bringing that about. And that my heart would increasingly become less a heart of stone and more a heart of flesh. So ask us, as a congregation to stand, I'm going to put one of my brothers on the spot. Mr. Gatto, can you come up? So just if we can all extend our arms forward, we're going to pray for our brother. Pete's going to lead us in prayer. Praying for our pastor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the loving God that you are. We thank you that there was that moment in eternity past that we can't even imagine that you created Nathan. And he is such a beautiful expression of your love and your grace on this earth. We just thank you for this beloved brother in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, we just continue to pray for him as he's even asked us to pray for him. Oh, God, may there be a lot of sweat on his brow as he desires to bring that offering before you when he comes to stand to you, with you face to face. And, oh, God, as much as he wrestles with his heart and sees the parts of it that are yet a little bit hard, we thank you that we see in him your heart. We give you glory for that. We just thank you that you who began a faithful work in him, you who began that work in him of turning his heart into a heart of flesh will be faithful to complete it. And may he trust you in that process day in and day out. Father, we thank you for this man. We thank you for his faithfulness. We give you all the glory and honor for all that has happened in and through this man's life. We just thank you for Nathan Tucky, his faithfulness to you, his love for people, Father. And his grit in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Let's give him another hand. It's a privilege that we have, you can all be seated. It's a privilege I have today to uh, also, we have a special speaker, David Dunbar. Dave is one of the few people that actually calls Nathan Nate. You may hear him call him Nate a couple of times. I'm not sure if Nathan actually likes that or not. But um, David was the uh, president of Biblical Seminary for 27 years. David has been a pastor the past five or six years since then. David is a carpenter. Uh, he's a talented woodworker. And he's a great man of God. And he's a good friend of Nate Tucky. So it's a privilege to have Dr. Dave Dunbar to be with us this morning. Yeah, our lives get so intertwined. Uh, so it's so encouraging to be here and to hear this celebration. And you're celebrating a student that I had 25 plus years ago. And uh, that's just great. And, uh, and Dan is here making announcements. And his father and I were great friends for years. And uh, he was a great man of God, too. So uh, it's interesting how God builds these webs together, huh? So I'm, I'm very pleased to be part of this celebration today. I had the privilege of knowing uh, Nathan Tucky <laughs> since 1990 when he came to uh, study at uh, Biblical Seminary. And uh, is, is Susan there? Okay, yeah. And Susan, you were actually a couple years ahead or one year ahead of Nate at the seminary, weren't you? Yeah. So I've had some experience with the family. Uh, I had Nate in a couple classes where he proved to be uh, uh, a cheerful and enthusiastic scholar, and uh, I'm sure you've profited from that in terms of hearing his, uh, his preaching and teaching. As he mentioned, <clears throat> he also served on our maintenance crew, and one thing that uh, struck me uh, was that, that as he showed up as a student, uh, cheerful and enthusiastic, he seemed to be able to do that uh, as a maintenance person as well. And uh, that tells you something about uh, a person's character. Uh, when you show up equally for the things you really want to do and, <clears throat> and also for the things you'd just as soon not do, whether it's a clogged toilet or you know, whatever happens in these old buildings, uh, you show up the same way for both of them. I think you talked, Nate, about Showing up, right? Doing what you can. Uh, that points to a, a certain consistency and stability of uh, character that uh, I saw in Nate then, and, and hearing <clears throat> all these stories just confirms that that really uh, is part of who he is. Uh, and I remember when this congregation uh, first began talking with uh, our maintenance man about coming to be pastor here and uh, have watched that uh, with, uh, with joy and seeing him succeed in that. Here we are 25 years later, and, uh, <clears throat> and I don't need to tell you about his good qualities because you actually know them better than I do. You, you've been firsthand witnessing. I've been across the river uh, watching from a distance. 
but it's always a deep delight to see uh, former students uh, go out and prosper in what God has called them to do. So, uh, what are we going to talk about this morning? Well, I'd like to talk about one uh, particular character trait that God thinks very highly of. And when Dan Arthur called me to ask if I would participate this morning, I, I was able to respond yes immediately, and I knew immediately what I was going to talk about. And uh, so uh, let's look at a couple biblical texts, and you will, uh, well, we'll just read them through, and you'll pick up on what that uh, quality is that we want to focus on. So let's begin with uh, Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Psalm 33, 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Lamentations chapter 3, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Matthew 24, Jesus is uh, talking about uh, what it's going to be like when he returns. When faith gives way to sight and uh, the great evaluation takes place in all of our lives. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And then uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This then is how you ought to regard us. Meaning Paul and his ministry associate, Apollos. Here's how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. As those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required... <clears throat> that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So I'm sure you can see the connecting links in these verses. Faithfulness is an essential part of God's character. And it's a quality which he then desires to be replicated in our lives. So let's take a few moments and, and clarify what we mean by faithfulness. What comes to your mind when you hear that term? The Hebrew words that we translate as faithful or faithfulness have a root idea of firmness or consistency. And you see that in that, those words from Moses in Deuteronomy. God is God. He's the faithful God. What does that mean? Well, Moses says... He keeps his covenant of love for a thousand generations to those who love him. A thousand generations, which 
<clears throat> my mind used to go to, well, I wonder how long that is. See, and what happens at the thousandth and one generation? But, but this is just a, a Hebrew way of talking, right? Thousand generations is another way of saying forever. You never get to a generation where God is not God, where he doesn't keep his covenant promises. God is not fickle. You know, many of the pagan gods that surrounded Israel were, uh, well, they were fickle. One day they might treat you well, and the next day they might upend your life. And so it was very important in that pagan mentality to offer sacrifices and do whatever you could to appease this God because you never knew when he was going to turn against you. You always had to be looking back over your shoulder. But the God of the Bible is not like that. He is faithful. He is consistent. James says, there is with him no changeableness or shifting shadow. The way you are treated today will be no different from the way you're treated tomorrow. You can be confident of that because of who God is. He keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations. And, and that means that this faithful God, when he speaks to you, he will speak words that are true and reliable words. When he makes promises, he keeps them. You can take them to the bank. In that beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about the faithfulness of God. He says God is faithful. And, and, here, and that's the reason he said, I preached a consistent message right along. It reflects who God is. And the message is the good news about Jesus. Paul says in, in the gospel, we're shown how God, no matter how many promises he's made, all those promises that he made in the Old Testament that he, he says he's going to keep forever, Paul says now in the gospel, we see the demonstration of the faithfulness of God. Because no, no matter how many promises God has made, in Christ, they are yes. In him, they are amen to the glory of God. And so we say amen to what God has done, and we acknowledge the faithfulness of God in the gospel. That's why uh, my friend Scott McKnight uh, defines the gospel this way. He says the gospel is the story of Jesus as the fulfillment of of the Old Testament story. That, that's the faithfulness of God, right? We understand who Jesus is as the one who completes all of God's purposes in history. That's the faithfulness of God. Nothing that God has promised has or will fall to the ground. All is coming true in Jesus the Messiah. And then you remember what Jesus said about his own words in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> he said, if a person builds on my words, they become like the person who, who builds their house, their life upon a rock. 
And, and in so doing, the, the storms of life come and blow against the house, and the rain comes down, and the waters rise. But the house remains firm. The life built on his teachings stands firm in the storms of life. Why? Because his words are faithful words. They are reliable. They're trustworthy. They're powerful. So that's the faithfulness of God. And his desire is to create image bearers who will go out into the world and represent his character. He wants you and me to be people who can show to the world what it means to be faithful, trustworthy, reliable, so that in seeing that in us, they can trust him more easily. Make sense? So Jesus then talks about the faithful servant who, when he returns and faith gives way to sight, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in doing that, he can wipe the sweat from their brow. And I think Paul, in that passage we read in 1 Corinthians 4, where he says it's required of stewards that the person be found faithful, I think he may well be reflecting back on that story of Jesus. It probably wasn't written up at that time, but, but he would have heard that. He would have known that story. And so as he looks at the situation in the church at Corinth with, with all their divisions and following after particular human leaders, he says, now, now look. Some of you are following Apollos, my ministry associate. Some of you are following me. Some of you are following Peter. But let's get over this. Let's understand that Apollos and I are simply servants in the household of God. We have been entrusted by the Lord. And there's one thing that's required. And that is faithfulness. To do what we can do as the Lord has entrusted us as he's entrusted you with certain abilities, with certain opportunities. It's required of servants that they be faithful. There are many things that God does not require of us. Even though, as I said in the previous service, some of them might show up on a pastoral job description. I've seen them. And they may be on Nate's, I don't know. But these things are things that God does not require. Intellectual brilliance. Administrative excellence. Engaging communication skills. Compelling leadership style. Awesome creativity. And at the very bottom of my list, celebrity coolness. And I don't mean to suggest that these competencies are bad. Indeed, they may well be helpful and they may be used of the Lord to advance his kingdom, but they are not essential. 
What is essential is character. Character is the way you regularly think and act, not just when the lights are on, but when you are alone or with your family, especially when the kids are sick, or in high-stress situations that tend to bring out the worst in people, like COVID. I think, uh, Dan, you're the one who mentioned that the statistics on ministry over the last number of years has been devastating for pastors, especially. And it's related to our political situation. It's related to this epidemic. Very difficult time. But how people respond in those situations tells you more about who they are than when everything's going well. God is more concerned with character than with competence, with who we are than with what we can do. Now, that's a countercultural idea. Culturally, we're much more interested in what people can do than in who they are. We don't give multi-million dollar contracts to football players because they are honest or virtuous. Hopefully they are. Some of them aren't. But they don't get paid for that. They get paid because they can make the athletic catch or bulldoze across the line, gain yards, and put points on the board. That's what they're rewarded for. Not their character, but their competence. We don't pay CEOs large salaries because they are merciful or gentle, but because they can generate profits for shareholders. That's the cultural way. If the choice is between performance and character, our culture goes with performance almost every time. And here's the danger, that living in that culture, the church has picked up similar ideas for how ministry comes about. The church at large seems much more interested in competence than in character. You notice, however, that that when Jesus evaluates his servants, he evaluates on character. Yes, he's concerned with what they do. He told stories about that. But he's interested in what they do as an expression of who they are. In other words, being precedes doing. And he's got the same concern for your life. He's more concerned with who you are than in what you do. Because he understands that if you are the right kind of person, you will end up doing the things that are appropriate and bring glory to him. So he wants faithful servants. Now, I think all of this is incredibly important because we are living with an ongoing crisis in unfaithfulness in the church and specifically in Christian leadership. Hardly a week passes without some headline about a Christian leader 
who is caught in financial malfeasance, sexual abuse, defensive and autocratic leadership, and lying and misrepresentation of one sort or another. Sadly, these features or failures are often combined with powerful competencies. We're, we're struck by the people who fail because it seems like they have it all together for a time. And so we say, how sad, look at all the people who have been helped. True. Look at the powerful impact for the kingdom that has now been lost. How could this happen? Well, part of the answer is that the church has made that cultural mistake we talked about. We valued performance over character, doing over being. And we should not make that mistake either in our own personal lives or in the life of the church. It is required of stewards, Paul says, that they be found faithful. Today we're gathered to thank God for a leader who has proved himself to be a man of character. Someone who speaks the truth because he knows the truth and he lives by the truth. A servant of the Lord who beautifully reflects the consistency, the tenacity, and the reliability of God himself. Uh, Nate, Nathan, whatever your name is. (laughs) Thanks for being the friend and the pastor that you are. Thanks for allowing the Lord to shape you in his image and and that you're continuing to do that. That's, That's so encouraging. We wish you the richest of God's blessing as you begin the next 25 years of your stewardship at Southridge Community Church. And I don't plan to be part of the next celebration. (laughs) God bless you. That was great. Why don't we stand as we close...
So I want to encourage you to think about, I want to go in the fellowship room, I want to do a video, take a picture for Nathan. We all good at that? We all need to do something. Do a card or do a video. I think a video would be great. It was great to be able to, to celebrate someone who's been faithful and a challenge for all of us to be faithful. God bless you all and have a great day.